0: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Scene From Above podcast. I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. And we are your hosts for a show that aims to bring you an informal discussion about the cool things happening in and around the world of Earth Observation at the moment. You can reach us via Twitter using our new dedicated podcast account, at EOSeenFrom, or the hashtag SeenFromAbove, and can access the podcast in a variety of ways, including via our websites, Blueberry, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow our Twitter account and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps new listeners find us. We realise that we haven't said much about who we are, so here's a mini bio about us. Andrew, who are you?
1: Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) I wasn't prepared for that. Hi, I'm Andrew. Hello. I'm a freelancer and I work with Earth Observation Data, GIS. Uh, I'm a writer, a trainer in Python, and generally speaking, I write Code in Python, although
0: I'm open to other things. Cool. I'm Alistair. Um, I've been working with remote sensing now since the late 90s and I've done a variety of things from SAR to optical and generally uh, work around the area of environmental applications. I just love all things tech as well, especially open tech, so open data and open source software, that sort of thing. And our Twitter handles are at ajgjogger. And
1: at map underscore Andrew.
0: Before we get into the news I just want to say a big hello to everybody who came and said hi to me at the National EO Conference in Birmingham last week. It's great to know that you like what we're doing and are looking forward to new episodes. Both of us love doing the podcast so hopefully we'll be able to grow a really dynamic community of listeners uh, around this show. Keep spreading the word about the podcast if you would and um, if you see either of us at events then do come and say hi and uh, have a chat that'd be great Yep,
1: 156
0: followers on twitter now hey look at that that's not bad going for what four weeks all the cool kids are following us <laughs>
1: <music> right let's do some news on to my regular things that have been launched we're up to 178 things um so only four more since we last talked which was what three weeks ago or so it's so, um 10th of September today. So I'm expecting um, a few more launches later this year, especially with Planet guts going up.
0: We're launching fewer things than last year, but just as this year goes on, do you think it's plateauing out a bit and then there'll be a spike at the end? Is that that what you're suggesting?
1: Uh, I don't know. Uh, It's the first time I've really monitored it. Uh, I just don't think it works that way, though, does it? One of the things that went up uh, in this period... Is the Aeolus? That was the big ESA satellite launch, and that's quite an amazing satellite, really, isn't it? Uh, Not just what it's doing, which I'm sure you might want to mention, but in the sense that it's been in the plan for many, many years, and it's been delayed and redone, redesigned. Uh, So I'm just looking at the uh, program. So it was approved in 1999 for a 2007 launch. So it's been a long time in the making. And it's an important satellite, isn't it? It got a lot of media publicity because it's measuring the wind, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there's a nice write-up actually on the BBC website um, by Jonathan Amos about the satellite. It's a LIDAR system and is looking at winds throughout the total atmospheric column. So it's an ultraviolet laser that pings down through the atmosphere. And then it, it basically monitors the amount of, ultraviolet light that is backscattered from air molecules and water droplets, dust particles, that sort of thing. And yep. from that can work out the the wind speeds for, well, from the surface effectively right the way up to about 30 kilometers. So it's, yeah, the, the really cool thing about this, I think, and, and this is what the media have made a big deal of as well, is that we're now getting global data for wind as opposed to modeled information based on weather balloons and and surface buoys and all that, and sort of aircraft um information yeah. and that sort of thing quite often within the the sector you hear discussions about like well commercial satellite providers are, are more nimble and they can get things up and running and they can change their technology and everything else yeah and yeah. that's fine, but I don't think certain things like core science like this there's not really that commercial drive, and so it, it what I really like about this sector is the fact that there's a a nice balance, really, between the commercial providers and the sort of research governmental providers like this. Uh, And this is a great, great example of that sort of pure science, but with a real application.
1: Okay, so I've got a number of things, actually, that have happened in the last few weeks, but there's really two things that have stood out for me, and they're, they're both actually being blog posts. Okay. The first one I'm going to mention, actually, is remote pixel. Did you see that he sent out a tweet saying, um, I'm going to have to shut down because my bill has shot out of all proportions. He's just posted uh, this afternoon, in fact, a, a blog sort of outlining how this occurred. Um, because we've moved from this uh, the AWS hosting of Landsat 2 has become a request of pays bucket. Is it sorry? Is this Sentinel two or Sentinel two? Sorry, yeah, and that's caused uh, a bit of discussion. I, I saw floating around uh, about accessing this data and the potential costs for it. But uh, Remote Pixel has has um, posted this blog showing the breakdown of, of the costs and where the um, the prices have gone. And I'll obviously share it in the in the show notes. But it seems to come down that somebody's been scraping his services. Yeah,
0: oh,
1: right. I I think that we should sort of highlight what he highlights in the in the blog at the end which is this is a personal project and he, he's saying that you know right so if you're making any money from this
0: then you should stop doing it right now. I have to say that remote pixel is brilliant. He open sources all the code. This has um resonance as well with the whole reason why the sentinel 2 data became pay per use. In the first place, I think, Synergize host the data yep. through their AWS account, and they got hit as well by someone. This is a real shame. It's it's things like Remote Pixel and Synergize that are really good for showcasing the types of things that can be done, and they're real-world examples of what can be done. There's no sort of um, wave-your-hand-in-the-air type stuff. These guys use the data. They they make it available. they They create their own code and make that available, I think it really helps to try and show people outside of the the sector what it is that Earth observation can do, but also to generate new ideas within the sector. And you know, this is a real shame. Yeah, it's just not on, is it? I mean, this is a per- this is an individual, It's not a
1: company. By this stuff happening, it discourages other people to take those steps to share work to try new ideas. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to highlight that. Please do read the post. It's very interesting. The second post that I wanted to talk to, I mean, you just mentioned uh, Synergize. This is sort of a, a, a blog post that, that they put up and, it, and it's sort of gone round Twitter quite a few times. The title was, why are we not building one platform to rule them all?
0: Yeah, this is a great post.
1: It is a great post, isn't it? And I think last time we talked about <laughs> a certain post by Chris Holmes saying that this is one of the sort of seminal posts that you know people will be referring to in the future. Yeah. Again, this is another one of these sort of seminal posts, which is sort of, putting a marker in the sand, saying some things that quite a lot of people, I think, think, but haven't said before in the past.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: They're really behind the the opening up of the software and access of the data.
0: Yeah, yeah. To be honest, that seems like the most sensible way to do things in the modern age as well. And I think as a sector, we need to really move on with the, you know, there's, like you say, the Chris Holmes post and this post, I, I've gone out and I've told people about both of them. Because uh, I think, as many people as possible should be reading them. They really define where things are now and how they're going to change. And if we can get the community around, sort of around these ideas, um, and and helping to invest in these ideas with with comments and and code and and data and everything else, then yeah, I think it's it's really really useful to have these leaders and, and to have like you say these sort of definitive points in time with these blog posts. I think they're they're very useful indeed. This is a
1: good post. Yeah.
0: Have a look at it. Okay, so um, it's been all over Twitter and and various other social media sites, so I'm sure most people out there will have heard of this, but um, I'm gonna just bring to your attention the Google dataset search, which has been released. And this is effectively a way of doing Google searches for data that makes life a little bit easier if you're looking for certain types of information. You can go to the link that we put in the show notes for this and start searching for anything. So I did a search for Landsat 8 and it comes up with a whole raft of different data sets based around Landsat 8. It's really interesting, I think, um, as, a, as a concept. And yes, people might say, "Okay, well, it's just the Googleization, if that's a word, of data." And once again, we're being pulled into doing things their way. I think it's um, an interesting idea. It certainly seems to be getting some traction early on. Have a look at that and, and play around. Have you played around with it at all, Andrew?
1: Yeah. So I, I think it's in beta. That's, yep. the, that's the first thing I would, I'd say to it. And secondly, I, I think you made the point about this Googleization. So. Keep that in mind, what I'm about to say, which is, I think that it's great because finding data is difficult. Yes. However, I did a few tests. So I've typed in Sentinel 2 and I'm a bit puzzled as to why the first result takes me to a US page. (laughs) So I'm going to try Sentinel 1 now and I, I know the answer because I looked at it earlier. It takes me to Google Earth Engine page. My concern is that, are you being led to the right place? Shouldn't it be taking me to the Sci-Hub? I'm all for it. I think it's great. I'm definitely someone who really likes Google Earth Engine, but I I don't know with this. You can still get the data, so I'm, I'm not complaining at it.
0: Like you say, it's in beta, so maybe they need to tweak their algorithms a bit more. Okay. The other bit of news that I want to share with everybody is some information about the iceberg A68 from the, uh, the Larson Sea ice shelf. If you remember that from a year or two back, it was a huge block of ice basically that had broken off the Larson Sea ice shelf and had been sort of, well, it'd been really well monitored with Sentinel 1 SAR data. And if you go to the link that we put in the website to a BBC post, the researchers um, who are looking into this have released an update because the iceberg, although that seems like the wrong word, given it's so huge, has managed to now pivot and is um, it's on the move. Yeah, it's just it, it's an incredible little video of a time series of Sentinel-1 data. And I think it's a really good example of how having data, SAR data that can look through cloud is, is really useful in, in that environment. But also having this rich time series of information as well is really helping new research and monitoring at the same time. The, the last and see, we, we talked about it before, didn't we? Almost when we started. So it's moved
1: quite a lot in the time that we've been doing our podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've got one more thing. Have you seen this mosaic of Sentinel-2 Level 3A products that's been done for France? Yes. So it's cloud-free, it's all processed up. It's absolutely stunning. I really like this sort of thing. It's the sort of stuff that you know, draws me in. They did Belgium first, didn't
1: they, in July? Yeah, that's right. And, yeah. then, and then now they've done France, and this, this is really amazing.
0: And what's really amazing is it's on a open-layers web page for anyone who wants to understand the power of what sentinel 2 can deliver i think they should have a look at this definitely the other thing i, I think that's quite cool is going back to our last podcast it, um, is that they've used GDAL quite a lot in this in order to create it so yet again it just shows the power of what GDAL can do and and how it's critical in in so many different processing workflows yeah i don't think this
1: is cloud optimized though is it
0: no, because I think they've they've broken it out into tiles. It's a lovely, uh, lovely balanced image. It is. The, the whole thing is incredibly well done and w- well worth a look. So, Cool. Is there anything else you want to mention on the news? The last thing I wanted to really mention was the Phosphor g that's just happened. Ah, of course, yeah.
1: First one in Africa. And there was a huge amount of papers with a Earth observation theme. It seems from a distance that that was one of the main topics of discussion or one of the topics of discussion i'm really pleased to see that because i, I think satellite imagery and gis uh remote sensing and the geospatial worlds need to come together more and this is one of the ways of doing it
0: i'm not sure whether this is controversial or not initially i thought it was quite controversial so we're going to ask are we in the space sector And I suppose there's a few things that we need to define. So one would be who we are, whether it's just you and me, or whether it's uh, all Earth observation people. And then also what the space sector is, and then why it matters that we have this discussion at all. Do you want to say a little bit about what the space sector is?
1: This is an interesting topic, and and I think that you can make a case either way. And my gut feeling is that we will agree... To be ambivalent. (laughs) So that's a sort of spoiler alert where I think we're going to end up. But let's see where we end up. There's plenty of pages out there setting out what the the space sector is. And I'm really talking about it here in terms of the UK sense. Um, I don't know how other countries define it. But in the UK, at least, the UK government sees a huge growth in the space sector. So I'm not going to define it quite yet. But effectively they're saying it's tripled in size since in 18 years. We've got a huge skilled workforce that is constantly being claimed is generating three times the national average in productivity that we need to upskill in the sector. The investment in the industry uh, in 2014-15 was £415 million. Pounds. Now, what is the space sector? I, I think you can think of it in many ways, but generally speaking, we are in the downstream, which is yeah, yeah. the user end of, of the sector. So we're not talking here about launching, building satellites or space tourism or building space ports, or anything like that. There is a component of that in Earth observation for sure. But what we're really about is the end product what these things in orbit do i don't have any statistics even though I, I try to to go finding for them but generally speaking i always think of it in three three prongs which is navigation communication and of observation and the navigation and communication side of the space sector seem to be the more dominant side
0: although i think i think there's been a lot of investment in earth observation um over the past sort of 10-15 years and that it seems to me like there's a bit of a shift possibly within the European sphere of funding projects that use navigation a lot more and are trying to use also sort of communication a little bit but so it, yeah I, I think you're right those three prongs are probably the three critical ones and I think there's been a little bit of a shift recently.
1: There's obviously a very well-defined usage for communications and navigation And I I think there's quite a well-defined usage for the observation
0: side of things, just not as ubiquitous as the other two. Maybe this is a tangent, I'm not sure, but um, I was at the National EO Conference last week and there was a definite discussion going around in the conference about how there's a desire within the UK, at least, to try and get EO data to be used by consumers rather than by businesses, which I thought was odd. Using the mum analogy, I, I couldn't see a point at which my mum is going to be using a service that is based on the processing of Earth observation data in her daily life. Maybe I need to be a bit more forward thinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that your mum, <laughs> just a person, sure. would, would directly use the data as it is today. But I think yeah. combined with other data, I think she would potentially use without realising that she's using
0: it. I found out the other day that the village she lives in has an onion show every year, so um, I suppose they could use NDVI to monitor the growing (laughs) habits of different onions. (laughs) But but I'm sort of thinking more along the lines of (laughs) atmospheric and weather conditions... Sorry, yes. ...related
1: to health. But I I know what you're saying. I'm almost moving to where I would conclude, which is I, I think that sectors are sort of very loosely defined anyway because there's so much crossover. It is just data, and I sort of feel like I'm in the data sector, <laughs> and I don't really mind where I apply that data, but I often think that whether it be drones or aerial, which those two things clearly aren't satellites, so we wouldn't be able to say we're space related, okay. um, or maps or in-, in situ sensors, which are a part of the Copernicus mission, mm. they're not space-related, directly related to space, and yet
0: we should use those in collaboration actually are we in the geospatial sector yes rather than the space sector or is that too broad because although from an earth observation point of view we quite often link ourselves into the space sector yeah i agree with you that we're much more diverse than that and that actually we need to be taking in or or counting for those who use drones and aerial and, and in situ and things like that so i think Data fusion going forwards will be the critical point, and being able to easily drop in these these different data sets will actually be a really key way that we will define what Earth observation is and It might be that Earth observation as its own identity moves away slightly from being oh, we're in the space sector, and actually, I think that would be beneficial i mean personally, I don't necessarily identify with being in the space sector. Although I understand that 90% of the data I use usually comes from sources that are uh, are from the space sector, I think of myself more as someone who's in an environmental sector. So I look at the application of what I'm trying to do uh, and do that. And it, I think it's interesting that you see yourself in the in the sort of the data sector, as it were, because both of us use satellite-based Earth observation data a lot in, in our day-to-day work and to be honest, in, in things that we do outside of work, we we like looking at the data, we like yep. investigating the data and, and seeing what we can find out of it. But neither of us identify with the traditional sectorization, which is that it's part of the space sector. So maybe identifying EO as part of the space sector is actually is limiting. If as a sector, and again, I, I take your point that how do we draw boundaries around what is the sector but if as a sector we start to think of ourselves as purely geospatial or purely data or or maybe applications based then maybe we will be able to develop more rapidly and take a larger slice of some of the the funding that is out there and the opportunity that is out there commercially yeah the other thing i was going to say is
1: in sort of almost not contradiction but maybe it's slightly saying we are in the space sector is that we've got people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson. They have a passion for it. You can see it. In the space sector, we have these iconic type of people.
0: And if, as you've already said, the the space sector is already growing, I I suppose it makes sense that... Large companies, large organizations all want to be part of that. Although it's cool to be part of all of that stuff and the global and sort of new space race where you've got these billionaires fronting companies that are doing all sorts of amazing things. There's no doubting that what they do is incredible. But actually, we need to identify as a sector, not with those. What we are is creating information and data. It's a tricky one, I find, in terms of how you define these, these companies and yeah. how you define the sector. But I think it's limiting to say that they're a spe- they're just in the space sector. One of the main changes in the, the data sector is this advance
1: in AI, machine, and deep learning, which I'm always a bit reluctant to talk about because it's way overhyped. And when people overhype things, you can't meet expectations. I think it'll be another good topic for, for a podcast. So I don't want to get too sidetracked, but what I want to say is people are coming out of, These uh, universities with PhDs and and, um, MSCs and and whatnot, all the people who are learning about this stuff, they're faced with many opportunities now to work in finance, to work in retail. These things are more tangible, it could be argued, (laughs) or maybe I am arguing, than applying this machine learning, AI, etc. to satellite data, because we're quite limited As to what we're trying to do with that. So it's either object detection or some sort of semantic segmentation class definition. I do wonder sometimes whether the kind of, hey, look, there's all this cool stuff going on in space, look at these rockets, helps us get those skills into a sector to address the problems we've been trying to address for the last
0: couple of decades. If you talk about space to the layperson, then the thing they're going to think of is SpaceX or Branson or whoever doing their pretty amazing things in terms of launching rockets. The satellite is just the means to getting some data. And I think maybe we're going around and yeah. round circles and having the same conversation, but, but that is the means yeah. to getting the data. And so you can't really say we're in the space sector. But at the same time, it's it sort of makes sense a bit if you're talking about space to talk about satellites because your navigation and your communication satellites are already in there and that makes sense. So why not put your earth observation satellites in there? Yeah. Maybe we're making too much out of this. I don't know. The use of satellite data in growing markets will be restricted by
1: internet connectivity without a doubt. Yeah. So when connectivity improves, access to data will improve and EO will be a component yeah. of
0: that. I think there's still plenty of effort needed in education. We need to be confident that as a sector, the earth observation sector is already in a really good place. We shouldn't be afraid to recognise that we have a very strong sector at the moment. Although it's in a transition, it's very well positioned to be an incredible strong part of a data analytics sector in the next sort of five years or so. Well, I think that's a good place to to leave it. I think it's a good discussion topic. My gut
1: feeling is that people feel quite strongly about it in a way, because there's space sector people
0: really associated to it. If you have any requests for new segments, topics for us to discuss, or guests you'd like to hear from, then drop us a line through Twitter using at or our personal accounts at AJGJogger and at Matt underscore Andrew. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, you can reach us on Twitter using the hashtag SceneFromAbove or at the at account. Please do get in touch and help us build a vibrant community around this podcast. That's it for now. Cheers. Bye. You just said, if you only thought,
1: I'll give you the unedited version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Half is not an easy one to walk through, so take me with you, and you don't have to go alone. Life is rolling, I should walk past you. If I could ask
1: you, pick up this-